Happy Resurrection Sunday. We are here celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Easter is a special time of year where we get to do that. But uh, we really should celebrate the resurrection every day of our lives and how we live our lives. And so today is just a reminder. As a matter of fact, today, uh, the title of the, the message today is Don't Forget. And uh, of course, you know, uh, when I say that, don't forget, makes me think about all the times Angelus said, hey, if you stop by Walmart on your way home, don't forget. And, you know, she'll tell me something and then I'll get home and she'll say, hey, did you remember? Oh, man, Ugh, I forgot. How many of y'all do that? How many of you have problems walking from one room to another and remembering what you were going in there for? I do that a lot now. I don't know, Kevin, it's just an old age, I think. I think it's old age. Yeah, we just kind of, what did I come in here for? And so, but don't forget, don't forget. And we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 22, and uh, we're going to recount the, uh, the resurrection storyline, but we're going to back up uh, a little before uh, the resurrection, and we're going to walk our way into it. So Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 14, uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, were at, and in an upper room at the what's called the Last Supper. And it said, When the hour had came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So just to set the stage, set the scene, uh, you know, Jesus had walked with these guys. These were young guys too. Some theologians say that many of the disciples were probably teenagers, all but Peter and maybe one other were, were teenagers. You know, and sometimes when you read about the disciples following Jesus and, and some of their questions, some of their things that they did, you know, I, I've, I've been guilty of saying, man, they were just some knuckleheads. You know, they didn't, they didn't catch on too quick. But if you think about it, you know, they were younger and, and they were still trying to figure things out in life. But he was the rabbi and he would have called them. They would have followed him around and watched him do miracles. He, he raised the dead. He opened the blind eyes. He walked on water, right? And so he had done some amazing things. He had fed multitudes with just a simple little uh, basket of bread and, and, and fish. And he had fed 5,000 men and all their wives and their children. You can imagine the miracles these disciples had seen. And here it was, uh, they were headed into Jerusalem and he sent a few of them ahead and he said, hey, go and there's going to be a place you're going to prepare the Passover meal there. And so uh, they, they came in on a Sunday into Jerusalem in what's called the triumphal entry where Jesus um, was on a donkey and he was riding into town. And it, it was known the rabbi was coming to town and, and the, the crowds, the multitudes came out and they, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They had palm branches, right? That was last Sunday, palm branches, Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday, they were waving them at him. And this, this crowd was loving it, man. He was their hero. He was the guy, man, he fed us. Remember, he fed us all the good bread. And so he was the guy they were celebrating. Plus, he was touted as the Messiah. He was the guy who was going to liberate them and set them free. And so the crowds, the disciples saw this too. The disciples saw the crowds coming out and cheering Jesus on as he came into town in this triumphal entry. And then through the week, Jesus would have met with in the temple with some of the religious leaders and he deliberated with them and, and really argued with them and scolded them because of their treatment of the people. It was very legalistic, very rules-based instead of love-based. And he would have argued with them. He even, he even got very upset when he came into the temple one day and the money changers were taxing the people. And he, it says he made a, a whip out of a cord and he, and he went in and he was cracking the whip and flipping over tables. This is Jesus on Holy Week, the week right before he was arrested. And 
he fl- flipped over the money changers' tables and he, and he scolded them because they were taking advantage of the people. And then Thursday came and, and he said, hey, guys, we're going to meet together for the Passover meal. The Passover meal. I brought some illustrations here today, but the Passover meal would have included several items. It was a very Jewish traditional meal that they had every year together, and it always included some bread. They would have had some, some bread. It would have been unleavened bread. This is not. This is pita bread, but it, you get the idea. Unleavened bread would have been a flatbread, and they would have had wine. They would have had lots of wine at the meal where they drank, uh, and then they would have had a, a brazen lamb, so they would have gone, and they would have found a pure, spotless lamb, and they would have purchased it, right? That's the money changers were They were changing the money because you couldn't use regular Jewish money. You had to use a special money to buy the sacrificial lamb. And they were taxing the people and charging them extra money. But they would have bought this lamb, unblemished lamb, spotless lamb, and they would have brought it to the priest, and the priest would have inspected it and said, yes, it's spotless. And the priest would have sacrificed it, and they would have taken some of the blood. They would have taken the meat, uh, most of the meat. The priest kept some. They took the rest of the meat, and they would have gone back, and they would have, they would have basically cooked it over a fire, right? They would have grilled it. They would have cooked it on their green egg if they had a green egg back in the day. But they couldn't boil it. They couldn't, they couldn't you know, pan fry it. It had to be done just the way God had instructed hundreds and hundreds of years before. This was a tradition that was done, this Passover meal. When the children of Israel were captive in Egypt, they had been brought into slavery in Egypt, and the Egyptians ruled over them uh, for hundreds of years. God sent his servant Moses to set his people free. And Moses went in and told Pharaoh, which was the king of the Egyptians, he said, set, my, set God's people free, and, and he said no. And so God sent plague after plague after plague, different plagues, to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And finally, the tenth plague was when the death angel came over Egypt, and, and, and every one of the firstborn children of the Egyptians died that night. But the Israelite children, the firstborn of the Israelites, did not die that night because the blood of the lambs was of the lamb would have been painted over their doorpost. God instructed Moses to tell the people, take a lamp, your spotless lamb, roast it, all that. But the blood would have been painted over the doorpost, and it would have been a sign to the death angel to to move on. And so, to commemorate that, it was what a what a great what a great victory that night for the Israelites. Pharaoh ended up letting them go out of slavery. That's when they went out, of course, and and God parted the Red Sea. If you've if you've read the Bible or you've watched Charlton Heston in the movie, but they would have parted the Red Sea and God would have parted the Red Sea and they would have gone across, right? So that was a great victory that day and a day to commemorate how God had rescued them from slavery. And so every year they celebrated this Passover meal together as families and they would pilgrimage into Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where they had to get the pure spotless lamb and have it presented to the priests and so forth. And so they would do it typically in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus instructed his disciples to prepare this meal for him and his disciples. And he was the rabbi. He was the guy who was leading them. He would have led the meal that night and led them through this ceremonial time together. And so here in Luke 22, when the hour had come, when it was time, when his earthly ministry was complete, they came through this holy week that we just described. They ended up in this upper room together 
And he said to them, they were reclining at the table. I should mention, they, they didn't sit in chairs in the Jewish culture. They would recline at the table. So you, I just want you to see the picture here. A table full of food and it, oh, the aromas. It's not like a Greek restaurant, right? That's the best way I can describe it. The men were around. There, were, there was probably some women around too, but the men were reclined at the table on some pillows, and they would have been close to one another. They would have been laughing and talking about, man, did you see him take that whip and crack it? And those guys would be like, oh, wise whenever he cracked that whip. You know, they would have been talking to each other about the week and just catching up and just having a good time together. And Jesus said in verse 15, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I suffer. You can imagine, you know, the, the buzz in the house, like it was in here earlier, aren't even. They're like, ah, how you doing? How you doing? Imagine if somebody came in and said something like, I'm fixing to die. <laughs> it would have been a buzz killer, wouldn't it? Well, you can imagine in the room that night when he said that, I've been longing to eat this Passover meal with you guys before I suffer. Well, he got their attention. You can imagine. Okay, what's, what's up with that, Jesus, right? What's up with that before I suffer? In verse 16, he goes on. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat this meal. I will not eat it until it, the blood, the, the bread, the wine, until it, what it represents, the Passover meal, is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, and, and I would imagine it was a larger cup, and he held it up, and there was wine in it, and this is not a cup, but it's, you get the idea. And he blessed it. He blessed it. Father, we bless this juice today. We bless what it represents. And he would have gone through a traditional Jewish Hebrew little song there that would have gone along with it. And they were used to that. That's what their mom and dad did. That's what they had done growing up. And that's what they'd done with Jesus even the last few years as they celebrated. And he would have said these things. Matter of fact, he probably would have said them in Hebrew. And normally they talked in Aramaic. So it was even, it was, it was a very high traditional thing he would have said there. And he would have blessed it. And then, and then, it, and then it says, and, he, and he, took, he took it, he gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And so he would have, he would have passed it around. And they would have all poured some in their cups. Poured some of that, that wine. They would have had wine that day. This is, this is juice. And they would have poured it in their cups. And so they all had some. And tradition says that they probably would have drank of this cup probably four times. And, and it goes back to the four promises that God made them when they were coming out of Egypt. And they would have already had a few of these, but he, he, he passed it around. And they all topped their cups off. And it says, take this and divide it among yourselves. And then he said this. He said in verse 18, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And this would have, again, been something different. It wasn't the normal the ceremonial Passover. He said, I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until we're all together again in my kingdom. Until we're all together again. You can imagine where the book of Revelation says that there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb where all the saints are going to be gathered together. We'll all be there. All those that are in Christ will be there. And Jesus, for the first time since His earthly ministry, will break out the cup. And, and, and yet we'll drink together. We'll recline at the table together. Can you imagine all the saints gathered around the throne and Jesus raises the cup? I don't know what we'll say that day. It won't be an ancient Hebrew saying. Hebrew saying. 
Maybe we'll say to the king, I don't know, but we'll say something together to celebrate the victory of our king, and he'll drink with us. But to his disciples that day, he said, I'm not going to drink this anymore. They could feel the tension in the room. They could feel something was changing. The tension was high. The, the end was near. And then we see in verse 19, he said, and he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Father, we thank you for this bread. He would have said an ancient Hebrew saying along with that. Oh, she wanted some bread. He would, have, he would have, again, recited this, this Passover saying that they would say every year, and they were used to that. So he, he very likely said that as he was thanking God for the bread. And then it says, after he had given thanks, um, he broke it, and he passed it around. And they all would have broken some off, and they would have all had, you know, ended up with a little piece of that unleavened bread together. And then he said something different. They, they weren't used to hearing he said, this is my body, which is given to you. Now, he, was just, he was talking to his disciples there at the table that day, but he was also talking to you and I as his disciples to come. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is given to you. And he said, do this. Take this bread, share this bread together in remembrance of me. Don't forget what this bread represents. Don't forget throughout the Bible, we see that bread represents many things. For instance, bread represents God's presence. When Moses led the children of Israel out of captivity and they were in the wilderness, God gave them the design for the tabernacle in the wilderness, the church in the wilderness, where God's presence would come and He would be with His people, this tabernacle as it was called. And outside the tabernacle, there was an area for sacrifice, there was an area for washing, it was called a laver, it was a big bowl of, of, of water where they would wash. And then the priests would walk into the first area, the first part of the tabernacle, and the curtain would pull back and they would walk in to the first place called the holy place, or the ho it was the holy place, yes, the holy place. And there was some furniture in there. It was three pieces of furniture. On to the right, there would have been a table, a gold table with some bread. There were seven loaves of bread. It was called showbread, but it was the bread of God's presence. It was to remind the children of Israel. They could smell the bread. It was fresh baked bread. You can imagine they were smelling it. And they could, it was reminders of God's presence. Bread is used in the Bible often of the presence of God. Bread is also representative of God's victory. Uh, an old saying in battle was that the spoils go to the victor, and it oftentimes was bread. And when the kings and their armies would go out and conquer, they would come back and they would parade through the streets and the people would gather because they knew they were going to celebrate with the, the victors and they would toss bread out to the people. It was oftentimes representative of victory. Bread is also used as a representative of God's wisdom or Jesus' wisdom for us. And also we see in the Bible often that bread's used to represent God's provision. Uh, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, and it actually means God is my provider. Um, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were out in the middle of the desert, camped out, and there's not a lot to eat out there. But every day 
they would wake up and they would go out and it had basically snowed. This stuff, this stuff was on the ground. And that's what they called it, stuff. The Hebrew word for stuff is manna. <laughs> so they called it manna. But they were saying, what's this stuff? I don't know. Makes good bread, though. And they would go and make bread every day. And every day they would come out every morning and there's more stuff on the ground. They would gather it up and they would go make some more bread. God is my provider. In the wilderness, he gave them bread. And so bread represents a lot of things throughout the Bible. Jesus added something to that with his disciples that day. And he includes himself. He says, this bread represents my body. My body that's going to be broken for you. That's going to be beaten for you. My body that I'm willingly going to give as a sacrifice for you. Earlier we saw Jesus talk about being the bread of life in John 6, 35. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Here in this moment with his disciples, Jesus is reminding them that he is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. He is with them. He is their victory. He is their wisdom. He is their provider. He is their bread of life. And here today, he reminds us he is the bread of life. Verse 20, it says, likewise, the cup, the cup of wine they poured, that day, the cup, after they had eaten the bread, saying, this cup that is poured out for you. Again, he's tying together the wine with the blood that he is ready to pour out. This cup that is poured out to you is the new covenant in my blood. Very symbolic. Very symbolic. He wanted them to remember. He wants you and I to remember what his body being broken, what his blood being poured out means for us. And here he's telling them, he says, this wine represents my blood that is being poured out to ratify the new covenant. Now, the shedding of blood is used throughout the Bible, and wine oftentimes represents the blood. Uh, according to the Bible, God created everything good, you look in the book of Genesis, and he created everything good, uh, including mankind, sinless. Man was in constant commun communion with God, in a relationship with God. They talked with God often, and they were close to God. And then we see mankind disobey God. They sinned against God, and it separated mankind from God. And that was Adam and Eve in the garden. But it's still in place today that when we're born, we're born with a sin nature and we're separated from God. We cannot have a relationship with God in and of ourselves. We try. We do everything we can. We go to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. We act good. We try to be good. All in the attempt to be close to God. But according to what the Bible tells us, none of that matters. That's not what it takes because it takes blood to sanctify the spilling of blood to sanctify. It's the price of redemption. It's the price of redemption. The penalty for sin, the penalty for sin is death. Or another way of saying that, the penalty for our sin, nature, our sin that we commit is separation from God. And so we owe that debt. 
as human beings, and every human being that's ever lived has owed that debt. And the only way to pay that debt is for the blood of a pure, spotless lamb, right, to be sacrificed, to be spilt on our behalf. We don't have pure, spotless blood. We have corrupt blood, corrupt lives. We're full of sin. We are sinners. And so Jesus used that illustration with his disciples that this cup is being poured out for you, and it's the new covenant, the new covenant. Covenants were used all throughout the Old Testament in various ways. Covenants were agreements. Covenants were made between men. Covenants were made between God and man oftentimes. And here Jesus is saying, there's a new covenant, a covenant where I'm going to ratify the covenant. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. I'm going to pay the price for your debt. I'm going to shed my blood on a cross to fulfill Every covenant that's ever been made to fulfill all the previous covenants as the spilling of blood represents His price, His payment for humanity's sin. So when we participate in these sacraments, we're remembering the price that Jesus paid. He gave His life. He gave His blood to wash away our sins. Every time we take these sacraments, we're reminded, don't forget, don't forget. That's what he told his disciples that night. Don't forget, we're keeping covenant. When we take communion together, we're keeping covenant. You know, um, it's kind of like a vow renewal. Um, Some of you have done that. You've been married long enough to do a vow renewal, right? And you renew your vows, you have someone come in, maybe some friends and family, and you, you, you renew your vows to one another. And that's exactly what taking communion is. The first vow was when you got saved and when you said, Jesus, I accept that you gave your body and your blood for me. And then every time we take communion together, it's like a vow renewal. It's saying, yes, I'm remembering Jesus. I'm remembering what you did for me. I'm remembering the price you paid to set me free. Now, the disciples, they would have had this meal together, they would have eaten and the bread and drank the juice. And then there were some other things that went on. Jesus washed their feet and he prayed over them. And he said, all right, guys, let's go. And he he took them out and they went to a garden called Gethsemane. And he said, hey, some of you, you wait here. And then he took some with him and he went up the hill and he ended up by himself praying. Now you would think after walking with Jesus all this time and seeing Witnessing the miracles, hearing his preaching and teaching, and then and then this week even seeing the acts that he 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 performed in front of people, the the, the events that took place, and then sitting with him and him saying these things. Wow, so powerful that this bread is his body and this wine represents his blood, and hearing these things and hearing him talk to them in such distinct terms that you would think that. They would have been 100% on board, sold out. As a matter of fact, Peter, Peter actually was like, Lord, I'll go with you to the end. I'll fight to the end with you. You would think that they would have really stood up for Jesus. Yet we see in the story that when Jesus was arrested later that night, most of his disciples scattered. They ran and hid. They abandoned him. 
Judas betrayed him after walking with him for almost three years. Betrayed him for a few silver coins. Peter, brave Peter, who said, Lord, I'll always be with you, ended up denying Christ in the courtyard of Pilate to a servant girl when she said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you friends of Jesus? And Peter, brave Peter, he's like, man, I don't know him. (laughs) He denied him three different times that night. How could they do that? How could they abandon him? How could they betray him? How could they deny him? We, we, we say that, we think that, but we look at our lives and we realize we tend to abandon Jesus too, don't we? We tend to betray Jesus too with our disobedience. We tend to deny Christ in our lives all too often. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus give his body to be broken for us? Why would Jesus give his blood to wash away our sins, knowing that we would abandon him, knowing that we would betray him, knowing that we would deny him by the way we conduct our lives? Why would he do that? Is there any greater love than to die for your enemies? Yet that's what Jesus did. That night in the garden, the temple guards came and they, led by Judas, they arrested him. They hauled him before a Roman court. They falsely accused him. He had never sinned, and yet they gave him a list of sins. And through it all, the Bible tells us that Jesus was silent like a lamb that was being led to slaughter. He didn't say a word. I don't know. This is definitely my opinion, but I just have a feeling he had you on his mind. When he's being accused and treated unjustly, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about your salvation, wanting to spend eternity with you and I. Later, he was scourged. The word scourged is a funny little word, but they would take a man, they would tie him to a whipping post, and they would take this leather strap that was cut into multiple pieces, and they would would add bone and shards of metal in this leather strap and usually one on either side they would beat this man and that's what they did to Jesus they scourged him they beat him with these whips and history tells us that many men did not survive the scourging that the Romans would would meet out on the on the person that they condemned and they would do this 39 times, and they, they whipped Jesus 39 times with these scourges. And history tells us that, it, that when someone was beaten like this, that they were unrecognizable. The, the whip would have ripped their skin to shreds and would have left them just blood. He was scourged. He was, he was beaten. He was mocked. They made fun of him. The soldiers played games with him making fun of him. 
He was in extreme pain. He was tortured. He was led to a hill and nailed to a cross and lifted up for all to see, and the people would come. It was a big deal, the crucifixion. They would put people up there all the time, and people would come out and mock them for their crimes, and they did the same. They even put a sign above him, you know, King of the Jews is what the sign said. And they would laugh at him. Hey, King of the Jews, ha, 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 ha. He was shamed, stripped naked, hung on a cross. Why would he do that for his enemies? Why would he do that for people that were going to abandon him, betray him, and deny him? People like you and I. Yet while he was hanging there on the cross, the Bible tells us that he took on the sins of all mankind. He took on our sins, our sins, not just the Romans and the Jewish people's sins, but our sins. He took all of our sin on himself, so much so, the Bible tells us that even the Father in heaven turned his back. The Bible says that God cannot look upon sin, and God turned his back on Jesus while he hung on the cross, full of our sin. Even so, Jesus cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He took on our sins. He poured out His sinless blood to pay the debt for our sin, for my sin, for your sin. And after it was done, He said, it is finished. And He gave up His spirit. Hanging there on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, taking on our sins, took victory over that same sin and broke the curse of sin in our lives. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in the bread and in the blood, whoever believes that He did that for them will be saved. You believe that Jesus gave His life for you, gave His blood for you. The Bible says that you will be saved. They took Jesus down sometime later and they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And early on a Sunday morning, just like this, Luke 24 picks up the story in verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Most likely it was uh, maybe his mother and another one of the Marys went down to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They were going to, to care for the body there. Verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These were angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Jesus proved that he was God by the resurrection. He came out of the grave. He rose from the dead. He paid the debt for sin on the cross, and through the resurrection, He took victory over death, hell, and the grave. Death no longer has a sting. We no longer have to fear dying because we no longer have to fear eternal separation from God. Jesus opened the doors for us to walk into the throne room of God and humbly commune with the Father, to be in relationship with God Himself, just like it was at the beginning. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, we have the opportunity to give our lives to Jesus, to believe. The Bible says, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid the price, 
and you confess it with your mouth, that you would be saved, saved, saved. Saved from what? Saved from wrath, the wrath of God that is against sin and sinners. But because of Jesus, we're rescued, we're saved from that wrath of God, and we're called sons and daughters of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ to heaven, to the eternal kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? That is good news. Come on, somebody give it up for the king today. So so every time we partake of the communion, we remember what Jesus did for us. Paul recounts the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So folks, we're going to do this. We're going to do this often. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. We need to remember. We often forget, right? We need to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. Throughout our busy lives, it's so easy to get caught up in the ways of the world. It's so easy to, well, to abandon Jesus. It's so easy to to betray Him. It's so easy to deny Him. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Why don't you take that communion element out there. If you don't have just lift your hand and someone will bring it to you. We've got a couple of folks in the back that will get those to you. Some of you here today, as we take this communion, you need to be reminded of God's great love for you. Man, look, you're not the only one. We all carry some shame and guilt around. We've all been beat up. We've all had traumas in our lives. We've all had disappointments. We've all done bad things. We've had bad things done to us. But you've given your life to Christ. And if you, if you don't remember, if you don't remember that He was broken to heal you, by His stripes you are healed. If you don't remember that by His blood you are set free, you'll live under condemnation. You'll live under guilt. You'll live under shame. But today, as you partake of these elements, be reminded that you are free, that you are loved. Some of you here today, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never given your life to Christ. And you have the opportunity here today to say, you know what, Jesus? I believe. I believe you allowed your body to be broken for me. I believe you gave your blood to pay a price I could not pay. You have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus today through these elements today. Jesus is saying today, don't forget, I've paid for your sin. Don't forget, I've conquered death. Don't forget, I've set you free. Don't forget, I'm with you. Don't forget, I'll guide you in all wisdom. Don't forget, I'll meet every need. Don't forget, I'm not done with you. Come on, somebody. Don't forget, I've accepted you. You are accepted by Jesus. Father, we bless this bread today. We thank you for what it represents, the very broken body of Jesus. Today, as we receive it, we receive healing in our flesh, our physical bodies, we receive healing in our minds and our emotions and our spirit. 
we receive Jesus as we eat this bread. Just thank him right now for healing your body. Thank you for healing your life. Jesus, you're our provider. Never want to forget that. Jesus, by your stripes we are healed. Oh, God, we thank you. Thank you for doing what we could not do. By allowing your body to be broken. Father, we bless this juice and what it represents today. It represents the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that washes away our sin and the stain that sin leaves, our guilt, our shame. Father, we thank you for the freedom that it pur purchases and the, the fact that it, it closes the gap and allows us to come boldly before the throne of God and worship you and commune with you, have a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we celebrate the blood that our Jesus poured out. We welcome you close. We need you. That night his disciples drank and we do the same. Come on, won't you stand to your feet? We're going we're gonna to sing this we're going to sing a song that helps us to remember. If you're here today and you really have been struggling, during this song, I want you to just to cry out to God. Let Him know that you need Him. Let Him know that you depend on Him. You might be here today and you just gave your life to God. This song is a good opportunity to celebrate that. Maybe tell somebody around you. Stop by, see one of our team members. Stop by, let me know. Man, I gave my life to God today. I, I believe in Jesus. I said yes today. Let's take this time to reflect on what Jesus did for us so that we can walk out of here today celebrating. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's worship.